Welcome to MedTech Talk, a weekly sit down with the innovators, investors, and executives leading the MedTech sector. Now, here's your host, Tom Salemi. Hi, welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast. I'm your host, Tom Salemi. Last week, we shared a conversation with Lisa Earnhardt, CEO of Intersect, ENT. Today, I get to speak with another accomplished CEO, Dennis War, CEO of Halera. Dennis, of course, has uh, experienced uh, two uh, sizable exits in companies he has led. Uh, Lutonix and Velocimed were both acquired, generating strong returns for their investors. Today, Dennis leads one of the uh, hotter companies, a pulmonary company uh, in medtech. So we're happy to have him on the podcast today. But we're even more happy to say that Dennis is co-chair of the MedTech Investing Conference. Uh, Dennis has been working tirelessly with us to develop a compelling agenda uh, packed with the right topics and uh, with having the right speakers on the podium. So I'm very happy to be working with Dennis and Justin Klein, general partner of NEA, as co-chairs uh, of the MedTech Investing Conference they, along with our esteemed advisory board, uh, have really built a great meeting. So today we speak with Dennis uh, about his experiences med- in MedTech and about his work for the MedTech Investing Conference, which is May 6th at the Lowe's Minneapolis Hotel. Uh, if you want to find some information, go to medtechconference.com. Hi, Dennis. Welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. Dennis, I've been talking to you for a number of years, and you've uh, you've obviously had some great success in medtech. You've co-founded and sold two companies. You started Velocimed in 2001 and sold it in 2005, and you co-founded uh, Lutonix in 07 and sold it in 2011. And I find that the timing uh, interesting in that you started one company and what was a down period for medtech, 2001. And then Lutonix, which in 2007 was obviously a very, it was, it was beginning to, to weaken a bit, but it was still, I think, a hot time for, for devices. Uh, what was the difference between starting a company when the sector was down and starting the company when the sector was, uh, was at least at the time doing well? Well, from, from my perspective, um, I think it doesn't make a lot of difference. Um, I think the economic question is probably more related to uh, uh, what the economy is like when the company exits, you know, not so much about when it's founded. Um, I think that down cycles can be a great time to start companies because during those periods, big companies, you know, are more likely to be laying off talented people that you can attract and accelerate development, you know, activities. Um, I would, um, probably point out that in terms of both Velocimed and Lutonix, both companies exited during relatively good economic cycles. And you're right, that's that's the most important part, <laughs> to, to make sure you exit at those good times. But what uh, are people more uh, willing to, you, you mentioned people getting laid off, and obviously when they do that, they're eager to, to take on new ventures and they're available to startups like yourselves. But is it, uh, when, when the times get tough, is it difficult to lure good talent away from big companies because there's a reluctance there uh, to, to take a chance? Uh, yeah, that, 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 that certainly is a factor that could work, um, you know, in the opposite direction. You know, although most people that are willing to leave, uh, you know, a big company, which, by the way, I think is a great place to train to get ready for entrepreneurship, you know, people that have spent a few years in a big company, 
um, they're kind of oriented that way anyway. You know, I think they're pre-programmed to want to uh, be more entrepreneurial. And so when that type of situation comes along, um, uh, you know, they're ready for it. Um, you know, another point I might make is, is that, uh, 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 you know, obviously VC for, uh, uh, firms, um, you know, operate on relatively long timelines, uh, you know, and, and the firms themselves are actually not uh, that sensitive to short-term downturns in, you know, in the economy. Um, uh, uh, and because of the fact that, that any company that you start in MedTech typically is looking at a five to 10-year development time, it's kind of expected that all companies are going to go through some up years and some down years. Um, so uh, the way I look at it is, is that um, pretty much any time is a good ter- good time to start a med tech company, as long you know, as long as you have a good product concept, uh, you know, that's worth developing. Mm-hmm. You, you gave a, a great address to open last year's uh, med tech investing conference, of which you were co-chair, and you're co-chair again this year. We're very very happy to be working with you. And you reminded everyone at that address that uh, that you know med tech takes time, and, and, and innovation it needs patience. What is the, the what would the what would a potential theme of your opening address be this year? I'm guessing you haven't started working on it yet since it's about three months away. But what is what would you say the the state of medtech is today? Is it are we in a down period? Are we in a, a slowly improving period? How would you classify um, the state of medtech? Well, I think the last few years, you know, last couple of years has definitely been relatively down for medtech. I think the statistics show that, but at this year's uh, MedTech meeting, we're going to review 2014, and I think people are going to see that 2014 was clearly an up year, you know, rel- at least relative to the to the the previous years. Uh, several MedTech companies went public. Uh, many new companies were started. Several uh, VC firms raised new funds. Uh, I think we, you know, we've, you know, st- uh, we're, we're turning the corner. Despite the fact that 2014 was an up year, um, I think the best is yet to come. Uh, and the reason uh, for that is, is because um, a great time uh, to be an entrepreneur and develop new technology is just as, as things are beginning to change. Are, are beginning to change. And I think that there's little doubt uh, that the delivery of medicine uh, is on the cusp of revolutionary change on all fronts not just technological advancements. Um, But you can also say the same thing for how medical care will be delivered, how patients will be able to use publicly available information on the Internet to find the best hospitals, the best doctors, and the best insurance plans. Uh, In fact, uh, recent initiatives out of uh, HHS um, uh, will drive drive this change uh, where um, the emphasis now will be on the value proposition, uh, and I think and, and the buzz phrase uh, over the, is going to become value-driven healthcare. Uh, these are kind of things that are music to the ears of of uh, um, entrepreneurs because uh, um, uh, the system will welcome uh, change. Yeah, that's something that we're going to try to hit upon at the at the conference we've put up to the agenda, and it's it's up on MedTechConference.com, but the. The very uh, nature of, of entrepreneurship or innovation in medtech is changing. There's a lot of really precise questions that you have to answer 
when you're you're starting a company uh is is are medtech entrepreneurs uh evolving and making the changes necessary to to create uh medtech's next generation of of uh, successful startups I, I i i believe so i i'm certainly uh, um a believer in it and i know other people um that i consider my colleagues are as well um i mean this kind of change is going to uh, require high-value medical products, better information systems, treatment algorithms, you know, that address big unmet needs. Um, uh, quality of care is going to be able to be measured uh, and, uh, um, uh, and uh, uh, ideas that can do this and at the same time uh, reduce overall health care costs will, you know, will be big winners, you know, at the, you know, at the expense of, uh, um, um, uh, you know, o- uh, older ways of doing things. Right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and, and we'll be right back. To register for the MedTech Investing Conference, visit medtechconference.com. While you're in Minneapolis, plan to attend our inaugural Payer Provider Venture Summit, a first-of-its-kind meeting targeting the hospitals and insurance companies leading healthcare reform. Go to ppvsummit.com. And we're back with, with Dennis War, CEO of Hilera and co-chair of the MedTech Investing Conference. I think it's a this quote has gone around VC circles for well forever. Uh, you know the time it's about fundraising, and the suggestion is the time to eat the hors d'oeuvres is when they're being passed around, which I always took to mean basically you don't say no to money if some if someone offers it to you. I think it's been assigned to to Eugene Kleiner. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the origin was, but we'll give it to Eugene Kleiner. Uh, you don't really necessarily subscribe to that philosophy. We've had a conversation about how you've raised money for your companies, and you have a very binary approach to, to fundraising. How, how do you uh, how do you approach fundraising for your startups? Well, I start from the point of view of of uh, a, a, a personal belief that good ideas uh, with an excellent uh, uh, value proposition, an excellent management team you know, with relevant expertise and a track, a track record of success and persistence, you know, certainly persistence is key here, will get funded. Um, I think they always have. Um, uh, and I believe that that will happen going forward, whether it's good times or bad times. Um, and, uh, and one, I think one of the reasons uh, where uh, I, uh, people sometimes sometimes I think make a mistake is, 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 is they, they, they look for excuses for why not to do something as opposed to do something. So you have to have a positive attitude about it. That's, you know, that's my philosophy. You know, a couple other, well, I guess a couple other things I might add. Um, um, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I think when you go out to raise, I mean, you have to be very disciplined, you know about how you raise money. Um, I think you need to avoid being in uh, in what I call continual fundraising mode. Um, I, you need to, I, I believe, you know, put together your so-called pitch or roadshow, organize it very well, go out, make it, uh, um, you know, make a concentrated effort, uh, and and 
you know, try and, and get to the closing as soon as possible. And then when you raise your money, stop. And then don't raise money again until until you really need it. You know, if you're people who are in continual fundraising mode, I think uh, it, uh, make it easier for potential investors to take them less seriously. So I think, I think that process is, is important for raising money. Yeah, I guess it works. I know one VC who has wanted to invest in your companies, but but has not been able to to find his way in, or at least at the price you're able to get from from others. So it uh, is that just a, a matter of supply and demand that if you open the door for only a short time, then you can get you know get the right people in, and and are you able to get a price that you're that you're uh, that you find acceptable? I think that's important because. You know, if you if you establish you know a reputation where if somebody comes by and they want to invest and you just let them in at any time, well then that sends the message that when you actually go out for a formal round, that it lets people know that well you know we're busy right now we're looking at some other deals so you know Dennis will take our money later on if we want to get in, you know so so it lets it make it gives them you know it it it, it it allows a potential investor to to uh, um, to procrastinate as opposed to just you know you know get to their yes or no decision you know and knowing that that's you know going to be um, you know what they need to do. Talk a moment about uh, Hilara. It, it's an area, the Pullman area, is one that that has drawn a lot of attention from VCs in the past. Uh, with I think mixed results is probably a, a charitable just definition of uh, of the success. Um, what is the Hilara doing that's that's different, and, and how much of a how much of the story can you share with us? Well, I think there's there's quite a bit public about the story. Uh, we presented our our data for the first time publicly at the European Respiratory Society meeting last fall. Um, uh, Hilara has a uh, um, t- a completely novel therapy. We do we we do pump we we denervate the parasympathetic nerves that go to the lungs, and we do this by applying RF energy to the right and left main stem bronchus. Um, when the parasympathetic nerves are denervated, uh, it, 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 it results in a generalized bronchodilation through the whole lung fields, uh, which therefore um, uh, has the potential to uh, uh, improve um, uh, outcomes in patients uh, with COPD um uh, uh you know which is a huge um unmet clinical need um actually the uh, um size of the COPD market you know uh rivals um the size of you know the largest medical markets in the world so it's a very exciting company um um uh we are right now we're in the middle of our um the, or I should say the data we presented at ERS where our phase one clinical results. Um, we are now in the middle of our phase two clinical trial, uh, uh, which is a, a randomized sham controlled uh, a trial. Um, uh, and then assuming that uh, we uh, uh, re- re-document the treatment effect that we believe we saw in phase one, we will then move on to a, a phase three pivotal study. Great. D- does uh Denervation obviously took on a, a different uh, meaning after uh, Ardian's difficulties. I know it's a completely different part of the body. You're not renal denervation, but did you? Does Hilara get uh, uh, painted with a broad brush at all? Is denervation itself 
sort of looked at sideways or is it is it accepted that this is a completely uh, different approach and, and you're not feeling any sort of impact from some of the difficulties that renal renovation companies have had recently? Well, um, um, last spring uh, when we went out to, to do our financing, we actually kicked that off at the J.P. Morgan meeting and 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 the the news about Ardian hit one week before J.P. Morgan. So as we went out to start the roadshow, um, obviously there was no there was no doubt in our minds what the first question was going to be. And in many ways, I think we were fortunate because uh, that allowed us to uh, uh, explain why what we do is different uh, and and what the advantages are, are what we believe the advantages are of our therapy. As part of the right out, as as part of the roadshow, uh, had had we finished the roadshow, that actually would have been, you know, before the Ardian data came out, that actually would have been worse. But uh, um, but I think um, my my personal belief is that uh, um, um, uh, that I, I actually believe that renal denervation um, probably works as well, although it's the sympathetic system, not the parasympathetic. Uh, parasympathetic system, I believe that recent, you know, big, and I mean, extensive analysis of the renal denervation um, uh, world, um, you know, suggests that it, it probably would work, um, uh, you know, given, you know, the right, the right device and, and um, you know, and, and proving that you really are getting effective denervation. You think it would have been going back to your your comment. You think it would have been worse had you completed your roadshow before the news came out. Yes, yes, because as a result, we were able to uh, directly, you know, uh, uh, address the issue of why we are different than Ardian. Um, so, so that actually was an advantage for us. I, I think the thing that really, you know, made the difference for us uh, was that we actually, in our phase one trials, had. Um, tested two different energy levels of denervation. And uh, fortunately, you know, for us, the data from the phase one trial showed that there was a, there was a clear dose effect, you know, a higher energy dose gave better efficacy than the lower dose. And so in some ways our phase one trials were a randomized trial. And it was, it was that, it was that fact that, you know, allowed people to get comfortable uh, with pulmonary denervation um, and why this had a, has a good chance of working. Interesting. And, and final question: uh, In between uh, Velocimed and Lutonix, you you spent a short time with Rivervest. Uh, you you donned the black cape and the and the black hood and became a venture capitalist. What was that experience like? Was that did you consider that as a as a transition, or was it just sort of an EIR uh, waiting for the next great opportunity to come along, which you found in Lutonix? Yeah, I, you know, I uh, I think it was you know it was it was it was a it was a good time. I Rivervest had been an investor in my first company, and they invited me to to um, join them. In fact, I I started with them. I think the first day my commitment, you know, was you know was was finished after the M and A. Um, but it was a good two years because during the two years at Rivervest, they raised their second fund. And began uh, making investments in that in that fund, and I was deeply involved, you know, in the process. Uh, you know, it was it was uh, um, it was great perspective because I learned firsthand how challenging it is for a VC group, first of all, to raise a fund, and then 
uh, how challenging it is to deliver results, you know, how to pick the right companies. Um, and I think knowing how VCs think, how what their view of life is, you know, you know, I, I, I believe it's made me a better CEO. Um, I, uh, however, you know, my heart was and you know, always has been to be, you know, in company operations, you know, so that's that's my preferred way, you know. So um, when the right thing came along, which was Lutonix, the drug-coated balloon, I got so excited about it, I I had to go back and, you know, and and be be involved back on the you know on the operation side. Um, Rivervest, you know, I, I will say was a was a good group to work for. Um, uh, uh, it's it's also been gratifying to see how well they've done. I mean, their their second fund, I you know has you know has has clearly been a star performer within you know within the, you know the, the uh, life science sector, without a doubt. No, they really they really show the uh, the emergence of a of a lot of uh, successful firms within the opposite, uh, not on either coast in the in the in the middle of the country. So now that's a great firm. So you you literally. You literally finished your your uh, Velocimed obligation, and then the the next work day you were at Rivervest. You didn't take any time off at all. Zero, <laughs> yeah, zero. They, you know, they, you know, they, you know, they, they asked me to join them, and you know, part of it was they were going out to raise their 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 second fund, and I think they they you know they wanted to add to their team before going out to raise that fund, and and so they kind of said, you know, like you know, we'd just like to have you come right now, and so uh, you know, so I did. I literally never a day off, and. And then after I sold Lutonix, I promised myself I would I would take a little bit of time off, and I did. You know, after we sold Lutonix, I uh, I, I I took us what I call a six month sabbatical, and then uh, then got real excited about you know about the whole era opportunity. That's great. Well, glad to be working with you on on the conference. Thanks for your time today, Dennis. All right. Thanks, Tom. Once again, thank you, Dennis War, for sitting with us today, and thank you for serving as co-chair of the MedTech Investing Conference. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, then you should come to the MedTech Investing Conference on May 6th at the Lowe's Minneapolis Hotel. Go to medtechconference.com for more information. Check out our agenda. Check out the speakers uh, we have, and uh, we'll see you in Minneapolis. Join the innovators, entrepreneurs, and investors who are changing healthcare at MedTech Investing Conference on May 6th in Minneapolis. The premier event in MedTech Investing will bring together the industry's investors, entrepreneurs, strategics, and regulatory professionals in one of the country's richest MedTech communities, Minneapolis. This must-attend conference will leave attendees with the insights and connections necessary to find their own sure path to success. To register for the MedTech Investing Conference, go to www.medtechconference.com.